You're listening to episode 34, Embracing Change in Your Singing Career. When a friend invites you over for a cup of coffee, you know that you're about to have a meaningful conversation. Hola, I'm Melissa B. Cartwright, voice and performance coach and Latin creative with over 20 years of professional singing experience and encouraging others to do the same. I believe that both mental and vocal preparation is key to creating confident performing artists. You'll hear stories and advice from me and my guests that will make you think, it'll make you laugh, but most importantly, it will make you walk away saying, phew, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So pour yourself a cup of coffee y bienvenido to Cafecito with the Coach. Corazón de melón, like we say in Puerto Rico, literally translated to heart of melon. But if you think about all the little idioms we have in the English language, like honey, pookie, bear, boo, <laughs> I think about how those things would be translated into Spanish. <laughs> Miel, pookie, boo. <laughs> Anyway, oh, thank you so much for joining me and for joining me for this little bit of silliness. Um, this episode is going to be one of those push, play, and go. I usually have notes in front of me, but I really felt inspired and led to just share from the heart today. I shared a reel earlier this week on Instagram um, encouraging singers, particularly singers who um, their musical identity was really shaped in singing in church or leading worship, particularly in the evangelical setting. And if you find yourself in that place or having made the decision to walk away from that and embrace your singing, embrace your art in other forms where you were told maybe they're not as good, (laughs) Um, I just wanted to encourage you and say that that's okay and that you're still doing beautiful, life-changing work, even if it's evolved, even if it's taken on another form in your singing. And the reason I wanted to just basically share this cafecito with you is because that is my story. And even though I'm going to share a little bit more of my story from uh, a world of church music, worship leading, and you're thinking, ah, that's not really me, I just want to encourage you, it really doesn't matter (laughs) whether or not that's your world or not. If you find yourself, if you're not a religious person or a person of faith, it's okay. I think all of us can identify with being told that singing in one particular way or in a certain institution was considered the best. And maybe you were told that if you do anything else outside of that, it's not going to be as good. And we all know that that's just not true. (laughs) That's not true. We evolve as humans. Our art form changes. Our voices change. And our interests change because hopefully you are growing and changing as a human being. And so really, you know, this the paradigm is going to be about church music, but I hope that you can identify, again, with some very parallel takeaways. If you're feeling as though you feel this, um, as we say in Spanish, un no se que, this, this feeling of, of change, like you feel like something's about to change. And for many of us, the end of the year does that, doesn't it? It makes us very reflective. We start reflecting on how fast or how slow, you know, the year before us went or is going. And maybe we're looking ahead already into the new year with goals or changes in mind. So just take this story for what it is and hopefully you find a piece of yourself in it as well. Thank you. 
I want you to imagine little Melissa <laughs> in the mid to late 80s with bangs. I'm talking about the bluntest bangs on my forehead cut by the very own Medium Vasquez, my sweet mom, who probably should have taken me to... <laughs> salon a couple of times. But you know what? I did it to my daughters as well. So history repeated itself. But I want you to imagine this bubbly kid who couldn't sit still, who would beg her parents for dance lessons. And because they couldn't afford it, they signed me up for recreational cheerleading instead. And this kid was always moving and singing and just full of life. And like I said, always nonstop, (laughs) to quote a little Hamilton there for you. And there was always this spark of creativity within me and a spark for performance, right? I loved getting attention and I loved moving my body and singing. And later on in middle school years, I was gifted with more opportunities to sing, joining the school choir, auditioning for solos, and of course, just falling in love with the pop and R&B artist of the late 80s and early 90s. Hello, Mariah Carey's first self-titled album, (laughs) Vision of love someday just I mean belting my heart out in my room waiting you know to record on my mixtape and all the things and I'm aging myself and I don't care because I've lived that life and it was so much fun that musical discovery process for me was so much fun but I also was raised in a very strict Christian evangelical Christian household And so when I share these stories with you, this is not to lay blame on my family in particular, because all of us were programmed in a way to adopt beliefs that were very limited and limiting to my art, which you'll find out here in a minute. In this discovery process of singing and all the things, you know, I would lock myself in my room for hours just singing. And I grew up in a musical family. Both of my parents came from musical families as well, particularly musical families who in church. I have gifted uncles who are beautiful pianists, can play other instruments as well, directed choir. So I have a rich musical history and legacy that I bring to the table. But with that came this concern of, oh, she's like obsessed with just singing all this music. And so... Again, receiving programming that wasn't healthy, I was told, well, if you want to sing at all, you need to be actively singing in church because that's the best way. It was always deemed as if you want a recording career, it needs to be in contemporary Christian music. If you want to have a solo, it needs to be for the special music in a church setting. I was just like, all right, okay, I'll do it, you know? And for the most of my formative years as a preteen, as a teenager, even into early college years, because I ended up going to a faith-based college, (laughs) university, you know, that's what I adopted. That was the dream, to be a contemporary Christian recording artist. And I was always told that I was... I was praised. I was praised publicly for having those dreams and aspirations. My mom, my my entire family led worship, and I grew up in a very tiny Hispanic church. And so my mom was the worship leader, you know, in a very tiny church where it was all led by volunteers. Nobody was getting paid except the senior minister. And, you know, so I would 
always sing the solos or I would always sing the offertory music. When I actually started learning how to play piano in college, because I was a music major and a voice major, I started then playing in the band, you know, just like dinky little chords that I was learning. But you know what? I just showed up. And to some extent, I can look back on that and realize that I really did take advantage of every opportunity that was given to me. And so I applaud myself for that. I'm proud of myself for that. And so my identity became wrapped up in, oh, that's Melissa. She's the singer. She's the Christian singer. She's the bilingual Christian singer. She's the chick that is going to go record albums in Nashville with all these CCM artists, right? So everything I did, even throughout my college years, when I started getting internships, my first internship was at a Christian radio station. I was like, this is going to be my foot to get in the door and make my dreams come true. And I quickly learned (laughs) that even the Christian music industry is still an industry. It is still a business. Okay. And what I started learning from people that I admired and adored, and I wanted to be like them so much is that they're, they're just humans too. And not all of my interactions with them were very friendly. Um, I still ran into diva attitudes, you know, even within that world. And I can look back now as a woman in her forties and realize, wow, just how much I adored these people, the the pedestals that I would put them on, it all became about the career, about trying to make this dream come true. But in that, at the same time, I was starting to discover the world of musical theater. I was starting to audition for community theaters, and then I booked my first equity show in Atlanta, Beauty and the Beast. I was in the ensemble for that, and it was an amazing, life-changing experience. What started happening throughout my college years is a return to the curiosity and the wonder of other art forms and other musical genres. Even though I went to a faith-based college and I was a voice major there, the music program in and of itself didn't force me to only sing faith-based material, thankfully. (laughs) So I did get to explore more musical theater, being able to sing pop music even, you know? So I am incredibly grateful for the fact that that was starting to open, broaden my horizons again to musical exploration in so many forms and facets for my singing as well. So then I fall in love and I get married and I just happen to marry a worship minister, (laughs) someone who's going to be employed and was employed for 18 years in the world of church music. So my legacy of faith-based singing continues as a partner in crime with him. He always got paid for his work as the one hired by the church. I did not. I always sang as a volunteer. The amount of work I did alongside him was worthy of getting compensated. I'm just going to be blunt with you. (laughs) And I can go down another rabbit hole about how volunteerism in the church music world 
is prized and it's it's upheld as a spiritual value that if if you want to do this and you also want to do this for the church or even in your spiritual practice then of course you should give of your time freely and even sacrifice your time there is some merit to that but i have seen it abused and over the course of the 18 years I was happy to sing alongside my husband and I was happy to serve. But what started happening is that in the name of service as a spiritual practice, I started losing my identity again. I was only Sean's wife. I was, ooh, Sean's wife that sings really good. Sean's wife that's done professional theater so she can do this, this, and this, and this, and this for us. Sean's wife that can be in charge of an entire dance department in a large organization in a community-wide Christmas production with over 50, 60 volunteers. And hey, she's also a stay-at-home mom, so she's got all the time in the world. And that's going to sound, I'm going to, I'm just going to say, it's going to sound a little bitchy for me to say that. But here's what I want you to understand, no matter the paradigm that you're in. Artists still struggle with the expectation that they get to volunteer their art and only do so because you're just an artist. My friends, we've witnessed the changes even in the SAG industry for actors and now musicians and the strikes and the demands. And the irony is that we all consume some form of art when we're down, when we're happy, hello pandemic, all we did was Netflix and chill. (laughs) And yet we still carry around this mentality that we're just going to give it away freely all the time and that it is not a worthy um, career. Is it a hard career? Absolutely. I still remember getting a phone call from a dear friend when her daughter told her in high school, mom, I think I actually want to make a career out of music, (laughs) calling me with all these concerns because it just was not in her paradigm that my daughter can make money in music. What does that look like? You know? And so for all the advances we have made, that's still out there. And I think you would agree if you're listening to this, nodding your head going, yes, (laughs) it exists. It exists in what we call, you know, secular music. I'm just gonna, and I said that with huge air quotes because I'm talking from a faith-based paradigm and in sacred music as well. So hear my heart. I am celebrating so many beautiful moments that I had working alongside my husband, volunteering my time. It was not all bad. It was not all ridden with trauma and fraught. I can still celebrate beautiful life-changing moments that I shared with people in my life that I still have friendships with, relationships with, who are doing amazing things. So this is not a commentary on the entire evangelical music worship leading system or hierarchy. 
I say this with all the honesty because I believe that being honest is loving and that we need to have checks and balances in place for singers, for musicians who experience so much burnout in the world of evangelical worship leading because what happens is that your service, your sacrifice, your volunteerism is also seen as a spiritual practice. So if you don't want to do that, what happens is we start feeling like a bad Christian. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. That is exactly what happens. And that is exactly how recruitment happens on a Sunday morning from the pulpit. And again, I'm not going to use this platform to talk about that. Maybe on somebody else's platform, I'm happy to do so. (laughs) Or you can send me a DM on Instagram to continue the conversation. But I want to give you a picture of the entanglement that I was starting to experience over and over and over again over the course of my singing career in my adulthood because I was still latching on to limiting beliefs that if I don't do this, if I'm not helping my husband, if I'm not singing in church, if I'm not leading worship, then I'm not using my voice, my music, my gifts to the highest standard or the highest value. So let's fast forward to the pandemic, shall we? So many of us had a reckoning with ourselves because we were kind of forced to. We were forced to be alone with our thoughts more, (laughs) alone with whatever it was we were doing. Many of us could not go out and sing, right? There was so much danger around singing and the spread of COVID and all the things. Many of us voice teachers had to make shifts. I was one of them where... The shift that I had to make actually opened incredible doors, not only for my business, but for connections and relationships globally with other beautiful singers, other beautiful teachers, other beautiful artists. So within myself, I actually started going to therapy. My husband was starting to play with the idea of, I don't think I'm meant to actually be a worship leader for the rest of my life. What would it look like to do something different? When he started asking those questions, I believe that was uh, like a weaning process for me to ask myself the question, what is my identity if my husband changes his work identity? (laughs) And here's the beauty of this entire process in the last now three years of therapy, of getting to know myself. I've been very candid with my journey with my own mental health. In those three years, there was some deep uprooting of traumas in my childhood, realizing that there were religious traumas too with adopting this mindset that I was only good enough, I only had value if I was singing in church or if I was singing Christian music. There was healing that was starting to take place and still continues to this day in other forms and of deconstruction and reconstruction of my faith. Sharing this story with you actually is cathartic. <laughs> it's, it's a way for me to vocalize all the things that I have worked through and continue to work through as it pertains to myself as a human being. What do I believe now and what is my singing right now? What does that look like for me? What brings joy and ignites my passion, you know, the same way that I feel destined and called to do for other artists as well? And I'll tell you what, it's doing this. 
It is stepping away from worship ministry for the last two years. And what I mean by that is uh, two years ago, when I was really in the thick of my therapeutic work, I chose to stop actually singing on stage in church. After a period of time, I decided to come back to volunteering and helping out in our tech ministry. That was by way of like running the camera because we live stream the services at the church that I attend. That actually fed another side of me that was, it was good in the repairing process of not coloring the entire church world with my experience. And so it was good for a while. And then my husband made the decision to actually step away completely and have a completely different career shift. And I will link that episode where I actually bring him on to talk about that. You can find that in the show notes. And so when he did that, I was like, this is a good time for all of us to step away. Here we are almost a year later, and I have absolutely no desire to volunteer in any capacity because I realize that number one, I just don't want to. And number two, there's another layer of deconstruction that I'm going through right now. And so doing so in that same capacity as it looked like before feels very, very different because I'm different. And what is happening right now for me in my singing career is I am finally starting to make the investment back into myself. I'm stepping back into the world of auditioning for musical theater shows. I just had an amazing experience with a show Pelagius in Atlanta, and I'll link that episode as well, where I got to talk to the writers and creators and the owners of the theater that I did work at. I, for the last two and a half years, I have been gigging here locally and have found sparks of creativity and joy and passion in that and coming back to songwriting as well. So there's all these facets of an investment back into myself and realizing that when I sing in this season of my life, my voice has felt so free. It has felt the most powerful, the most uh, flexible even. And I am realizing that I am still making powerful connections through the gift of singing and music in people's lives. I'll share with you this quick story. I got to do a gig a couple weeks ago at a new restaurant, at a Cuban restaurant here in town for Halloween. And some friends of mine that I haven't seen in a while who actually have recommended this restaurant (laughs) several times came um, and shared a meal and got to see me. They're also caring for an elderly parent who is dealing with early signs of dementia. And so it's hard. It's hard to go out with him because they are both retired and, you know, caregivers for this gentleman. And I knew that they were going to be there. And I knew that this gentleman is Cuban as well. And there's a a Cuban song that most Latinos know when you start singing it because it's repetitive. It's actually a folkloric song. And I knew that the last time they came to one of my gigs, they actually wanted me to sing it, but I don't take requests. (laughs) birthday. And I knew that I wanted to have it ready to go if they ever were able to come to another gig. So I knew they were going to be there that night. And my friend shared a video of their father singing. 
And I remember my friend sharing in this post that you have to forgive my voice. They're all singing along to the chorus of this song. And, and he's a singer as well. And he says, you'll have to forgive my voice because it started getting shaky because I started getting emotional at seeing my father-in-law come alive and start singing along as well and moving and kind of shaking his head, grooving to the music. And I thought there have been experiences like that that have happened in the last two and a half years, and I'm going to get emotional, that remind me that's the power of music. It doesn't matter, my friend, where you are singing, how you're singing, because when you feel most alive when you do it, other people come alive too. That is the gift. (laughs) That is the spark. That is the passion. And that is why we were put on this earth to share in the joy, in the magnitude of what music can do. Is your identity to be only a singer? No. And I want to remind you of that too, because if that is all you think of yourself as, I just want to caution you that you are way more than that. (laughs) Your purpose in life, your identity is way more than that. Singing just happens to be one of the many mediums that you can do whatever it is you feel called to do on this earth. I feel like my identity is to be an encourager. So singing is just one of the many ways that I get to do that. I also get to do that working with artists in my business, in my voice and performance coaching business. I get to do that as a wife. I get to do that as a mom with my teenage daughters. I get to do that as a sister, as a friend, as a daughter. That is my identity. And then singing is just one little sliver of that. So thank you so much for sharing this with me for hearing me blubber just a little bit, but I'm not going to make apologies for that because this is real. This is honest. And I, this is why I close every episode by saying, I am cheering you on because I know my friend, (laughs) I know how hard it is when you wrestle with this, but how beautiful it is to go through the transformation process and to get up on that stage and sing your heart out and do so with vigor and passion and joy. (sighs) Taking a breath with you. (laughs) Love you so much. Thank you so much for sharing this time. If you feel like you share in this experience in any way, shape, or form, please let me know. You are freaking amazing and you have something that this world needs. If you want more information about how NBC Performance can ignite your passion for singing and songwriting and getting on stage, visit NBCPerformance.com. Hasta la próxima!